What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another podcast episode of Fit for Life with Julie and Ross. Hey, team. Thanks for all your kind feedback on the podcast so far. Super excited for today's one. Yes, so today's podcast is going to be our thoughts on a few key topics. I often get asked on Instagram about a few different things ranging from keto right through to if it fits your macros and things like competing. So both Ross and I have competed and we just have a lot of thoughts on different things in the fitness industry right now. So I thought this would be a fun episode for us to do. Sure will be. The first one I am going to start off with for us today is keto diet. So I think it's really important for anyone listening to this to realize that at the end of the day, your fitness journey is about finding what works for you and finding something that is sustainable. The main thing I wanted to cover on my side of thinking about keto diet is the reason for it. Keto diet was created many years ago to help with epilepsy. It is quite an extreme diet in which it eliminates pretty much all carbs. So you're eating a very low carb, high fat diet. And personally, I enjoy carbs a lot. So when it comes to people asking me what I think about keto, I think, you know what, if you don't like carbs, by all means, go for it. You can do keto, of course, or if you've been advised to do so by a doctor or a medical professional, then it's important that you take on that advice. But as far as nutrition goes, it's definitely not my first pick. Do you have any thoughts on keto diet, Ross? I have the same thoughts on keto as, as, as most diets. Is, uh, it always comes back to sustainability for me. If we're looking at different diets, anything that's extremely restrictive typically means it's quite hard to stick to long term. And the key to being successful with health and nutrition long term and with your fitness and things like that is sustainability. Can you do what you're doing forever? If the answer is no, then it's probably not the right one for you because progress really does take a long time. If you're looking at things like muscle gain, you're looking at a 10-year span plus, right? It's about developing habits and systems over time to be consistent and successful. Um, so that's my thing with every diet, pretty much. If you're looking at keto, paleo, a range of different things that are quite restrictive, um, my issue with it is, is I, I personally couldn't do that forever. Yeah. So that's something for you, I guess, to, to think about. If, if you're going to do it, is could you be sustainable with it? If you're going out for dinner, can yeah. you make good choices around sticking to, to, the, to that option. If the answer is no, then that's probably not the, the best approach for you because you know, life is about balance, balance. especially for me. And me. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely about balance. I like to enjoy the occasional beer. I like to have a treat here or there. Yes, I eat predominantly healthy, but I personally couldn't um, couldn't stick to a low to no carb diet. And that goes along with a lot of other diets as well. Um, it, again, it comes back to sustainability. Can you do what you're doing forever? If the answer is no, um, then it's probably not the, the, the right one. Again, the key to, to being successful with things like fat loss is predominantly a caloric deficit, yep. right? So in a calorie deficit. And whether you achieve that through doing something keto like keto or, or if you just have balanced, balanced meals and reducing portions, that's really, I guess, my main thoughts is sustainability. Can you sustain it for a long period of time? And following on from that, I would say enjoyment. Like life is made to be enjoyed. And yeah, it's all well and good to have something that's sustainable, but you also need to have something that's enjoyable. And personally, Ross and I both know, and I'm sure a lot of you out there all know someone either at work or maybe it's a friend, a family member that Monday to Friday, they're following maybe a keto diet or some other kind of diet. And then comes the weekend and they're, you know, off the diet for the weekend and they're doing whatever they want. And this becomes a repetitive 
cycle on and off. So it's kind of like weekday dieting. And we personally, for ourselves and for anyone listening to this, we want you to actually do something that you enjoy, which follows on from this topic. What do we actually do? Yeah, so I quite balanced. Uh, I like to check my macros personally, but I mean, I don't do it every day. I'm, I'm pretty aware of what I eat on most days. You eat nowadays. similar so, things. Yeah, so I eat quite similar, similar meals. So I don't really actually track macros that often in the week anymore, to be honest. So every couple of days, I might enter something into my fitness pal. However, um, I like to follow flexibility and balance. I, I try, obviously, to make good choices. Usually have five to six serves of vegetables yeah. per day. Um, you know, like I get enough gift, you know, protein in awesome. and of whole grains and fiber and all that good stuff. And, and um, I will have occasionally have a, have a treat at the end of the day, yes. which um, makes, yeah, fits part of my total energy intake, but also um, it makes up less than 10% of my total calories. So it's not like we're... You're eating 50% of your calories from highly processed foods. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things to note with this is other people say, well, you know what? I don't want to count calories in the weekdays either. But you have to take into account, like, how long have you been, you know, aware of caloric intake for Ross? Oh, at least seven years. Yeah. So Ross has put in the time to learn about, obviously he's studied and things like that, but he's put in the time to understand portion sizes from measuring and weighing his food ongoing for a very long time so that he could pretty much look at a sweet potato and guess the weight that it is just by, you know, holding it. And same with me. I have spent a good few years understanding my nutritional needs and I can accurately i would say estimate the weights of the foods i'm eating and things but where ross and i vary when it comes to if it fits your macros is yes we both do believe in weighing our foods and tracking our macros on my fitness pal i prefer a lot of flexibility throughout the week because he's got to go to the office most times to work whereas i can work from home so i can make my food fresh which means that if i feel like having something in the middle of the day I can fit that into my calories, whereas Ross will usually have similar lunches and dinners because it's easy to prepare, easy to meal prep, and it just fits into his life. And if he does need to change something, then he can. So when it comes to if it fits your macros, the main idea of it is just for those of you that are like, what even is if it fits your macros? It's pretty much based around the fact that, yes, you can eat any foods that you enjoy as long as you fit it into your caloric needs. Uh, regarding what your goal is. So if your goal is muscle gain or if your goal is fat loss or maintenance, then you have a certain amount of calories and macronutrients, your proteins, fats, and carbs that you need to hit throughout the day and across the week total. Yeah, awesome. So following on from if it fits your macros, I think the next topic to talk about is intuitive eating for fat loss. For those of you that don't quite know what intuitive eating is, I think it's just like a newly coined term that the fitness industry has come up with, but pretty much it's just listening to your body and eating accordingly. So before the fitness world kind of created this, it's pretty much just eating, right? It's just eating food. It's just a fancy buzz term. So what do you think, Ross, about intuitive eating in terms of fat loss? Yeah, so I think you can definitely lose fat intuitively eating. However, it depends, I guess, how good of results do you want to get? Yeah, you can definitely lose fat intuitive eating, but but could you get to the point where you'll have abs and things like that? Probably not. For most people, uh, in terms of um, getting really great progress, I don't know anyone who has got to the point where they'll see visible abs as a male, for example. 
um, by not tracking their calories and macros. Um, yes, you can definitely lose fat intuitively eating. Of course definitely. you can. Um, it's just about reducing portion sizes and eating less. You can definitely lose fat in that way. It might just not be optimal and you might not get the exact results that you want, whether that's, you know, quite often for, for men, for example, it's working towards that six pack. You probably yeah. aren't going to get that intuitive eating. Yeah, so I think there's a few key things when it comes to intuitive eating and I've thought a lot about this, especially as I have women always asking me about it. So I think intuitive eating has a time and place on your journey. If you have spent time to, like I said, learn about nutrition, you understand portion sizes, you understand the nutrition of the food that you're putting into your body and the caloric intake of that, then of course it makes intuitive eating you know, a lot easier because you understand that you're not going to snack from a pack of almonds and eat a whole bag of almonds because, you know, they're healthy and you felt like it. You understand that you need to eat certain things in order to hit your proteins, fats, and carbs. And you can do that definitely intuitively once you've spent at least three to six months or longer actually tracking and weighing your food so that you understand those portion sizes. I think it also comes back to what you eat as well. Like if you're going to do intuitive eating, then I think a focus needs to be more on, on whole foods and making sure you are having like, uh, of course, always you'd be looking at sufficient protein sources, but I feel like um, you the, the flexibility and balance point in intuitive eating is going to be less because, yes, you know, if you're consuming high GI foods like sugar, of course, you're going to feel hungry later. So if you're intuitive eating on sugar, you're just going to be filling up um, on, on stuff that's obviously not going to fill your body. It's going to lead to high um, blood sugar levels and then, and then drop, drop in blood sugar, which leads to um, overeating. And another thing to think about is your hunger cues in general are often affected by a range of different things. If you look at modern day life or just life in general, if stress levels are high, then things like cortisol get raised and then our hunger levels can be higher because we're stressed. So sometimes with intuitive eating, it's hard to understand whether we're actually hungry or whether we are stressed and we need to work on that to lower our hunger cues. Um, things like sleep as well. If you're not sleeping your recommended um, eight hours per night, then your hunger level is going to be higher again because of cortisol. So that's something to think about with intuitive eating for fat loss is that you know we've got stress, sleep, and all these other factors that are playing a part in our hunger levels. So it's really sometimes quite hard to distinguish between are we hungry or is something else going on. It does come back to if you're going to do intuitive eating, you've got to think more about what food choices you're going to make because you can't be as much balance and flexibility there because, you know, if you're having too much sugar, you're going to be overeating. Yeah, and also by actually being aware of what you're putting into your body in terms of tracking, you can make sure that you're also getting an adequate fiber to help with digestion, energy levels, and overall well-being. So I think intuitive eating, it definitely has a time and place, especially for I'm going to put this in here. Of course, if you are someone that has kind of eating disordered behaviors or you find that you get very obsessive when it comes to nutrition and tracking or you've been advised not to do that then I definitely recommend reaching out to a therapist a doctor working one-on-one with maybe a nutritionist to get some help and support around your nutrition because I do understand that counting calories isn't for everyone but I do believe that learning about nutrition and education around it is definitely something that is for everyone and I think that's really important so that's kind of my thoughts on intuitive eating and yours anything else to add no nothing else to add on that one awesome okay next up let's move away from the nutrition side and go on to exercise so let's talk about crossfit 
For those of you that don't know what CrossFit is, it's more of like a functional training. It's all around the world right now. If you haven't watched the Netflix kind of like docos on the CrossFit games, absolutely phenomenal. The athletes that do it look absolutely insane. But I just thought maybe we could open up the topic, I guess, around training and what your thoughts are in regards to just, I guess, CrossFit for results and CrossFit in general in terms of classes. Yeah, so... I've done a few CrossFit sessions in my day. I actually quite <laughs> like the style of workouts from time to time. Um, super impressive athletes. Uh, yeah, especially the, the elite CrossFit athletes are super impressive. Uh, one thing to think about with CrossFit is it is quite technical. If you're looking at some of the lifts like a clean and jerk, you know, it is a very technical lift. It's quite hard to learn. You do need a lot of coaching around that. So it's something to think about that a lot of the lifts are quite high injury risk if you don't have a good coach so if you're looking into crossfit you just want to make sure that your um, coach you're going to is really i guess skilled and qualified and is going to take the time to teach you how to do olympic lifts properly because you know if you look at the elites like matt fraser in, in the men's class he spent 10 years doing olympic lifting before going into crossfit so there's a significant background there and that's why he's so good at it because it is so technical uh, you need a lot of practice in it and, and there is a high degree or level of injury risk there. So just something to be careful of. Um, you know, if you look at ACC stats through New Zealand, injuries went up significantly based on gym injuries when um, CrossFit got introduced. So they more than doubled um, when wow. CrossFit was introduced in, in New Zealand. So um, it's just something to think about. You want to go for a good coach, make sure you spend time learning how to do the lifts. They, it is very technical. You need to be quite flexible and balanced. And yeah, yeah I guess it's, it's, uh, it's not for the beginners. Yes, awesome. So just to kind of preface this podcast, Ross and I did not talk about these topics before. I really wanted his personal opinion as well as my own um, without influencing one another. And I actually didn't even know about the CrossFit ACC stats in New Zealand. So that's interesting for me as well. So when it comes to CrossFit, I think something from what I gathered from Ross is kind of that, you know, when you go into a CrossFit class, usually there might be anywhere upwards of, I would say, 5, 10, sometimes even, you know, 20 people in a class, which means that often it's not necessarily one-on-one coaching and the coach can't be expected to see everyone's form throughout. So it might even be that, you know, you meet with a coach a few times first and get that one-on-one personalized coaching to make sure that your form's right before you rush into it. And then another thing I want to say is that if you're new to doing any kind of working out, like Ross said CrossFit isn't necessarily for beginners. If you're new to working out, it might be a situation in which maybe you want to work out with a trainer in the gym first before you go into the gym by yourself to do any kind of workouts, just to reassure you that you're doing things right to prevent injuring yourself. And I think that when it comes to getting results, of course, nutrition is going to be the most important thing. But I also think that going to the gym and doing CrossFit, very high intensity classes, you know, six to seven times a week, some people try and do them every single day, is very strenuous on your body. And I think it is important to take rest days. And I want to follow up this with Ross <laughs> leading on from this. I didn't even think about it, but rest days. So many people have I ideas around like oh you know if I take a rest day I'm gonna lose results and I think we should cover off rest days so what are your thoughts on them Ross how many rest days do you have per week uh, I typically have one to two rest days every single week but your rest day should really depend on, on how advanced you are in your levels of training you know if you're a beginner three full body sessions per week is more than enough for you to start out on 
and you could have four rest days. So it really yeah. depends on what, what level you are, how long you've been training for. You know, if you're looking at things like um, if we're talking about CrossFit before, where you're looking at the six or seven sessions per week, uh, that, that might be okay for someone who has been training for a long period of time. So if you're looking at, you know, five years of experience within your training, if you're in your first year, probably not going to be the most optimal way for you to train. You probably are going to increase the likelihood of injury. Again, it comes back to the individual, however, though. So like every year we're all different. You can't expect one person to react to training the exact same way another person is. Yeah, definitely. And so for myself and for the squad, I always give the squad the option when you sign up to work with me, four, five, or six days of workouts. I personally have one to two days off a week, but my rest days aren't where I sit around doing nothing. I still make an effort to move my body on my rest day in the mornings. Like I'll go for a walk, even on Ross's rest days, he'll walk me to the gym. It's not a very big walk, but we just start the day with some kind of movement because that sets my tone for the rest of the day. So often people will say things like, oh, I get so bored on rest days, I don't know what to do. It doesn't mean you sit on the couch all day and watch Netflix or you know, you go to work and you don't have to do anything at all. You can still go for a walk in your lunch break. You could go for a walk after work or before work and still move your body. Our bodies are designed to move. So make the most of those. It might be that you go out for, I don't know, a coffee with a friend and you go for a walk around the park after. So rest days are important, super important if you are looking to build muscle as well so when it comes to building muscle i'll usually do about four or five days in the gym and then have two to three rest days one thing just looping back to the the crossfit subject as well the only issue i do have with crossfit is the reps to time based scenario so you know lifting a heavy weight like deadlift to time that's mm-hmm. where i do have a little bit of an issue with it because it does take a, a high degree of awareness of what's going on with your body you, you have to really know you know and feel that movement to a- avoid injury however if we're doing that to time often we'll push past our limits mm-hmm. sometimes technique will start to start to go and then all of a sudden we are craning our back for example and we, we might we might have an injury so i guess it does some things to think about it does take a really high level of awareness of what your body is doing um, correct technique and knowing when to stop yes. so it's not necessarily saying you can't do certain lifts to time it's just about really having that high degree uh, and level awareness, of awareness yeah. really of your technique what your body's doing and how it should feel doing that exercise versus oh starting to get tendon injuries or um, you know muscle strains and things like that yeah and also in a class environment whether it's crossfit or any other class that a gym offers sometimes it can be quite competitive you know they're pushing you to time they're telling you to keep going push through the burn push through all of that uh you know that's not necessarily always the best if you're feeling some kind of an intense pain you should not keep going you should stop you know have a break reflect and then go at it again when you feel ready to so sometimes any kind of class not just crossfit can really push you to a different level but not in the best way possible speaking of competing and competition and the mindset let's go on to competing in general so both ross and i have competed in australia and we both placed in the top three which is absolutely amazing different federations but i thought i would ask ross to share his opinions on competing just anything really any thoughts around competing who should do it why you did it why you won't do it again if you won't (laughs) <laughs> yes. So, so yeah, like like Andrew said, I've competed twice uh, in Melbourne, and look, I did it for a number of reasons. The first uh, competition I did was because uh, I was personal training at the time. It was like a personal goal for of mine. I've been weightlifting for 
you know, coming on 10 years, so I'd been doing it, uh, yeah, nine years before I decided to compete. So I had that really good, I guess, baseline of, of lifting. You could be progressing towards that, I guess, advanced level of lifter as you start to get towards those nine years. <laughs> Typically, we refer to advanced lifters as five years or more. So I was getting to that stage. I just wanted a new challenge to try and take my training to the next level. So I decided to take on competing. Um, it is very, very tough mentally and physically. Uh, I, I love doing it and I had a great time going on stage, but it's not something that I would probably ever do again. I say probably because nothing, nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. Certain, you, nothing's never guaranteed. Know. <laughs> you do never know, but I probably wouldn't do it again just because it is, it is quite restrictive. It is quite extreme and... I just, I just find I prefer the balance and I, I, my training's better when I'm not at super mm. shredded level. So I try and maintain a reasonably lean physique year round. I sort of sit around that 10% most of the time, which is you know, pr- pretty lean for, for a male. But I just don't like to get to that super, super restrictive yeah. lean levels anymore. The lowest I might go would be around eight. But, you know, getting any lower towards that competition lean, if you're looking like down to, to 5% for a male, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's really, it's really it's restrictive. Right. It's quite hard. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I personally just not, not willing to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, it really comes down to what you're willing to, I guess, work towards. And Ross had two very different preps, if you don't mind. It depends if you yeah, want to talk about yeah. yeah, so for his first prep, he prepped himself for both competitions. For your first prep, what was the difference between your first and your second in terms of how you went about nutrition? Both quite similar methods. I did carb cycling for my second comp. For the first comp, I started probably too early, to be honest. I didn't I didn't know when to peak and things like that because I was doing my own training and nutrition. So I probably peaked about four weeks too early, <laughs> to be Very honest. So I, um, I had to maintain quite low levels of leanness for about a month, which is not a bad thing to, to come in and like, make sure you actually are lean because I didn't have to do any water depletion or anything like that because it was really super shredded. If anything, I had to make sure that I was having not enough water sh- to, yeah. to, um, to, so I wasn't too dry. But um, yeah, I, I guess uh, it comes back to, to stress as well. And I think that's probably where like a, um, a coach helps if you go into a, to a competition. Although, you know, like I, I have a degree in uh, sport and exercise science. I've been you know, personal trainer and, and things like that for a long period of time. It's still uh, it's still quite scary and daunting doing your own uh, competition Definitely. training or your own training in general sometimes. So I think sometimes it just helps to have someone tell you what to do, especially when it comes down to a competition prep towards the end like Ross was it's a lot of pressure for him and I could see him we could feel it um, it was a lot of pressure for him to get to that stage by himself without having any experience in competing before and having someone to just make sure that you're on the right track like you're really relying on yourself and in the last few weeks I feel like your mind plays tricks on you so Ross and I are very different in terms of how we've gone about our competing because for all my competitions I reached out to get a coach because I didn't know anything to do with what was going to be involved in competing and I knew that would be the best thing for me and I am glad that I had coaches for that. So I guess when it comes to competing, like you hear Ross had been training for almost 10 years before he stepped on stage. I, seeing Ross take himself to that next level, was inspired and also decided to go into competing. And that was after lifting for about maybe four years, I think, but only really consistently in the two years prior. So I had built a bit of muscle and then it just came down to getting my nutrition on point in order to get to the stage. But my thoughts on competing is in that I think 
It's an amazing opportunity, but you have to realize why you want to do it. These days, I feel like so many people start going to the gym and maybe they'll start working out for like a couple of weeks and then they think, oh, you know what? I want to go and compete and they'll rush into it. But I think it's something that takes time. You have to make this a lifestyle before you can look at, you know, going into competing. Otherwise, it's going to be much harder. And I've seen that now with obviously my own journey, but also the girls on the squad that work with me for two years and then I pass them on to a competition coach. Mel and Sarah, if you're listening to this, shout out to you two. You know, they worked with me for a solid two years and then I pass them on to a comp coach to go and prep. And that means that they already understand how to track their calories, weighing their food as a thing, hitting their steps, hitting their workouts. All of that is already their habits and their lifestyle. So it's not like you're totally doing a 180 degree flip where you have to learn all this new stuff during a prep because it's just not going to be successful if you're starting from scratch and you've only got 12 weeks to get to the stage. That's a really important consideration. So you do need to spend time building initial baselines, building some muscle. We don't want to go straight into competing from your first day in the gym. Yeah. That, just, that just is not going to set you up well for long-term success. So spend the time building the good foundations. Make sure you get a, you get a good coach and understand that it is it's really it's hard. hard it's really hard so you know you're going to be hungry you're going to be tired yes. for months not not just for a couple of weeks or here and there or if you're hu- it hungry gets hard. Like, it gets really and, really difficult so and, you know you have to be prepared mentally for that as well going in knowing that you are going to be hungry you're going to be tired you're going to be saying no to certain social situations you're going to you know you're going to feel like horrible yes. like, so, yeah. so, like some, not, some, some days you will feel um, a bit shit yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ross said it, not me. So yeah, like I remember there was a time when I was on a prep and we were meant to go out for like a lunch with Ross's family and I just said to him, I was like, honestly, I just can't do it today. And I fell asleep on the couch in the middle of an afternoon on a Saturday and he went out for this lunch with his family, you know? And that's a memory that I missed with family uh, because I was I was honestly just tired mm. and it happens. And if you're in a relationship and your partner or fiance, husband, whatever, wife has never competed before, they're not really going to understand it. They're not going to understand your hanger, the level it takes you to get there. And I'm lucky that Ross and I have both been through it now because he understands what it's like when I'm snappy as anything because we went through it when he went through his first comp prep. So when he went through his first prep, I didn't understand what that was like. So it was all new territory for us. But now having been through it, like I guess a few key things for us is, you know, make sure you build up that foundation. Make sure you have a good support network around you. Make sure you work on your mental health health it's not going to be easy in terms of the competition prep but what's going to be even harder especially as women is going to be the change you see going from being shredded and having abs to not having abs for many women it's just not sustainable to stay that lean year round and for anyone that's been following me on insta for a long time or my youtube even you'll see that my body goes through different phases and it's meant to i'm not meant to stay shredded year round so it is a big mental game and it's so important to make sure you that you have a good competition coach pre-comp as well as post-comp. Do not leave your coach after a comp. Stay with them, reverse diet, and take care of yourself. That's everything I have to say on competing. It's a big topic. I could talk about competing all day long. A really common question I get asked about a lot is supplementation when it comes to a fitness journey and, of course, fat loss. So I thought I would ask Ross simply about protein and fat burners and just supplements in general. So first things first, what supplements do you use? Uh, I personally take protein powder. I take creatine 
And at the moment, I'm using pre-workout, but it's mainly just the uh, the caffeine burst boost, so you can just have coffee instead if you prefer. Yeah, definitely. So I personally don't really like, uh, I guess, pre-workouts, but I do like something with a little bit of caffeine, so something like an OxyTrade or a cold brew coffee. And then I like to use protein powder in my oats, and I also like to use creatine monohydrate. My goal is to build muscle right now, as is Ross's. But when it comes to supplementation, I'm guessing you agree the same with me, Ross. It's not essential. It's not something that, you know, you have to take. But speaking of protein powder in particular, I like to use it because it tastes good. It's a really sweet treat in my oats and things. And you like to use it right now too, don't you? You find it helpful? Yeah, so protein powder, I think, I don't like to think of protein powder in a supplement. Yes, it is a supplement, but it's also your macronutrients, right? Like I think about hitting your protein, fats, and carbs during the day. Having a protein powder isn't necessary, but it can help you hit your macro goal. So it totally depends on what you're doing and, and what, how you like to get your protein. And I like to get some of mine from protein powder. I predominantly get it from, from meat and um, you know eggs and all that sort of good stuff. However... You know, I, I like to add it to my oatmeal, for oh, example. Yes, so, chocolate oats. You know, that's just a preference, but it doesn't mean you have to have protein powder. It's just a way of getting that macronutrient. In. However, we would, I think I can speak for Ross on this. He'll correct me if I'm wrong. We would, if you are maybe like vegetarian or vegan, then using a protein powder can really help you get your protein intake up, especially if your goal is fat loss. And the reason why I say this is because a lot of vegetarian and vegan uh, plant-based protein sources are often high in carbs or high in fats and just high in calories in general. I posted something on my Instagram the other day about 100 grams of peanut butter and how it was like twice the amount of fats as it was in protein. So using a protein powder if you are vegan or vegetarian can really help you get that protein intake up. The reason why we want to make sure that we're getting adequate protein in is of course to help with satiation, to help with recovery and overall health. Yeah, it has a thermic effect on your metabolism as well. So it's really important for fat loss goals, but also muscle gain and just health in general if you're looking at protein intake. So, body composition. Yeah, body composition. It is really important to make sure you do get enough. And typically, you know, if you aren't having a protein powder and you're eating a vegan-based diet, then you likely probably aren't getting enough protein most of the time. Depends on what you're having, of course. Like, you, you could do it. Would it be very difficult? And like, is your fiber going to be like through the very roof? high? Probably. So, yeah. um, I would recommend protein powders definitely for um, vegans, vegetarians too. Um, it's it's unlikely that you're going to want to consume a ton and ton of egg whites to get your protein. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, it is it is a good idea. Awesome. And then following on from that, other supplements and the well, not that you referred to that as a supplement, but other supplements and things. I like to use gut health products. I use the B Pure range for my vitamins, my vitamin D, my fish oils and any of their digestive enzymes as well, just to help for general health. But when it comes to things like fat burners, detox teas, shake diets, these are everywhere. It's 2021, and I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit surprised that shake diets are still a thing where you just can consume like powdered-based meals. I personally prefer to eat the f- like eat my food. I want to eat my calories. I don't really want to drink them. So even when I have protein powder, it's usually with something like uh, my oats as opposed to just drinking a shake with water because it satiates me better and I feel like I'm actually eating something. When it comes to fat burners and things, I mean, nothing is going to beat a caloric deficit. You cannot outwork your diet. You cannot out supplement your diet. We need to make sure that if 
our goal is fat loss. We are aware of the amount of calories we're putting into our body and the portion sizes so that we can lose fat. There's no magical pill or shake or anything else like that right now here in 2021 that will actually help you shred the fat. So following on from that, you don't have anything to add on sups, do you? No, I do think creatine's well oh, yes. worth taking if your goals are building muscle or just getting stronger in the and gym. Endurance. It definitely helps with your um, you know, your creatine phosphate energy system. So uh, I highly recommend that one. Uh, again, providing you're following all the safe directions on the back of, of the packet to make sure it's safe for you as a person. Yes, awesome. And following on from creatine, so a lot of people say like, oh, do you need to do a loading phase? Ross and I personally don't. You don't do a loading phase, do you? Because well, I you, often you, get yeah, asked. Yeah, well, you can either do a loading phase with creatine monohydrate for... Um, five to seven days where you'll take upwards of 20 grams of around 20 grams of creatine per day however you don't need to if you take five grams per day and are consistent with it for 30 days or longer after 30 days muscle saturation is at a high enough length so uh, i personally just take five grams a day and and just consistent with it most of the year when i remember most of the year year around and don't load on you can though and and loading on it's individual yeah totally it's fine yeah so i usually do five grams of creatine monohydrate daily and that's what i usually aim to take whether it's a rest day whether it's a training day so hopefully that helps you if you have any other questions at all about supplements you know i'm only a message away to wrap up this podcast we are going to finish up just quickly with our thoughts on vegetarian vegan pescatarian paleo and any other kind of diet I'm just going to roll straight on with this one. So when it comes to any of these things, again, the most important thing is that one, it's sustainable, two, you enjoy it, and three, that the total calories you're eating each day actually align to your goals. Any thoughts on that, Ross? I have the same thoughts around those as I do with keto. It's all about sustainability for me. Again, if you can't stick to it for a long period of time, then it's not the right one for you. You should be able to sustain it. You should enjoy it. We should enjoy our food. Um, providing you're getting all the right micronutrients too if you're looking at your fruits and vegetables like if your diet doesn't have that in it then it's <laughs> it's not yeah. the right, right one in the first place but yeah um you know making sure you get enough fruits and vegetables is always important but balance yeah balance if, if you can't sustain it then it's then it should it's be something you should avoid but again that's going to come back to the individual what what i can't sustain is going to be different to what somebody else um definitely and it takes time to learn what works for you and what you actually enjoy so i do recommend that you try a few things if you are struggling you know where to find me and juliemack.com i would love to help teach you more about if it fits your macros so that you realize there are no good and bad foods there's foods that you enjoy foods you don't enjoy and that you can eat whatever you like and achieve your goals within moderation so yeah that is everything that was a good chat ross thank you thanks for tuning in team we'll see you in the next one bye